0: It's so true. Not only are your ways above our ways and your thoughts above our heart, our thoughts, your being is far above our being. Your existence is eternal. We love you, Father. We're so grateful to you for the Father, for the Son, and for the Holy Spirit. And we pray that even now you would open up your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated so good to be with you this morning in the Lord and in his word. Would you please turn with me to Ephesians, the fifth chapter this morning? The title of this message, Walk as Children of Light. We're going to see this morning the lifestyle of the children of light, the holiness of the children of light, and the wisdom of the children of of light. Uh, we're in the practical section of the book of Ephesians. We're in the walk section of the believer, walking step by step, placing one foot in front of another. Uh, our spiritual position is in Christ in the heavenly places, but our earthly position is here, walking on uh, the planet here in planet Earth. Uh, one time I was teaching down in Tehuacan, Mexico. And while I was teaching, I I spoke the phrase, this is where the rubber meets the road. The interpreter paused for a second because there is no direct equivalent Spanish idiom. But he went ahead and translated it anyway, he thought quickly. And he said, this is where the tires hit the pavement. Great, and brilliant translation. And they all understood what he was talking about. Well, this passage that we're going to look at this morning speaks about where the tires hit the pavement. It's the walk of the believer. So chapters 1 through 3, the doctrine. The believer seated with Christ, the believer enjoying, enjoying a new relationship and the freedom of that relationship in Christ. All of it, of course, based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Chapters 4 through 6, practical. The practical section of Ephesians The believer is shown how to walk and live the life of the Christian. All of it, of course, is about Jesus. He's the one that does it. We can't live the Christian life apart from him. There is no Christian life without him. It's Christ in us. It's Christ in us that is the hope of glory. It's his gospel. It's his truth. It's his leadership. It's his nature. It's his love. It's his light. We walk for him. We walk in him. And we walk by him. So, all of this walking is in him. We need Jesus to live the life that Jesus calls us to live, right? It's exactly the way the scripture teaches it. So, we look in verses 8 through 10. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. First thing we note is that Paul tells the Ephesians, you were once darkness. Now there's a difference between being in darkness and actually being darkness. He said you were once darkness. Not only were you in the darkness, Paul would write, but you were darkness itself. I remember as a kid, junior high age or so, we had this understanding of the city in which we lived, we were able to travel underground all over the city through the irrigation tunnels. And uh, we, we found a place where we could bend back the bars that lead us down into the ditch, and so we bent those back, and we went down into these irrigation tunnels, and man, was it dark down there. And we would take matches and stuff and flashlights, but every once in a while, we'd get down, my mom shaking her head, I didn't know you did that. <laughs> Mom, if you knew half of this stuff. But anyway, we're down there in the ditch, and one time we're down there, and we decide to turn off the flashlights, not light any matches, and just feel what the darkness was. You could feel the darkness. It was so dark. Literally couldn't see the nose on the end of our face. (laughs) Couldn't see the end of the nose on our face. Couldn't see anything. Couldn't see our hand in front of our face. Couldn't see anything. It was dark. Paul says, you were once darkness. That's the way it was for us. And darkness, of course, is nothing other than the absence of light. So that means there was no light in us. None. No light. And so this describes a person who is without light. But then he says there's been a dramatic turnaround. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And again, let's understand what the scripture is teaching here. It's not just saying you have light from the Lord, or you are the light of the world in the Lord, but you are light in the Lord. He actually calls the believer the converted person The one who's born again by the Spirit of God, he calls that individual light in the Lord. That's a dramatic thing to call someone. You are light in the Lord. How did it become that way? How did we become light? Well, first of all, Jesus came. Now, John the Baptist introduced him, and Jesus came, and when he came, John tells us that John wasn't that light. He came to bear witness of the light. The light that came was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. So Jesus came into the world, and he lit the match in front of the human race and said, this is what it's about. This is what life is, and this is what truth is, and this is what righteousness is. It's all in him. And later, of course, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Vincent's Word Studies translates that phrase in John 1, that was the true light, even the light which lighteth every man coming into the world, the NIV, I believe, translates it this way, that was the true light which coming into the world lightens every man. So the first thing that enables us to be light in the Lord, that made us light in the Lord as believers, is Jesus came. And he came as the light of the world. Do you remember in John's Gospel, he said, I'm the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Later in that chapter, he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He's the one that illuminates this dark planet in which we live. And so he came as the light of the world. And then, of course, we now are the light of the world Jesus said to his disciples, You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So we are the light of the world, we are light in the Lord. Obviously, light needs to shine. And so the very next verse tells us, or the next phrase tells us, Walk as children of light. In other words, as children of light, we're the ones, we're the human beings that God has placed here on planet earth to reflect the nature of God in the world in which we live. We're the ones that are going to give illumination to people that are in darkness. We're the ones that are supposed to reflect the one who lives inside of us, who is the light of the world, Jesus himself. And like it says in 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power might be from God and not from us. It's his light, it's his power, it's his love, but we're supposed to be earthen vessels that have cracks in them so that the light can get out. We need to reflect who he is. Some people don't want this responsibility. Some believers don't even want this responsibility. That's too heavy for me. I can't handle it. I can't handle being the light of the world. I can't handle reflecting all of this glory, and I don't know what to do about it. And it's too much responsibility to be a representation of the Lord Jesus here on earth, and it's too much responsibility to try to, Uh, meet these high standards. But remember, this thing of walking as children of light, it's a lot more about being than it is about doing. It's a lot more about being than it is about doing. Being light in the Lord is the key. If I am what God says I'm to be, if I'm letting him be in me what he says I am, then my doing will flow from that. If I try to do without being, I'll fail. If I be and then do, I'll succeed. And the being comes from just recognizing who it is that lives inside of me and letting his life have its way in me. Now what happens if the light becomes dim? What happens if if the bulb starts getting dim? You know, traveling as I have had, I have in uh, developing countries, you know, one of the things I notice in, in developing countries almost right away is that you go into a room or into a building or into your hotel or wherever you're staying, and the, there just isn't very much light in the room. And the reason is that the power supply connected to the entire electrical system is faulty. And it's unreliable. Brownouts, where they suffer a loss of electricity for hours and sometimes even days at a time, they occur regularly. And even when there is power, sometimes you'll see the light bulb going, you know, kind of flickering on and off and it gets a little brighter at times and then dimmer at other times. There's a problem with the power supply in such cases. But with us, if the light goes dim, the problem isn't with the power supply. The power supply is the Holy Spirit. And he's limitless in his power. The problem is our connection to the power supply. Sometimes the light bulb gets dim because we're not properly plugged in. That's the problem. So what do we need to do? We need to get plugged in again. How do we do that? Well, we need to ramp up our prayer lives. Start getting serious about prayer again. need to ramp up our Bible reading so we can let the light of God's word come again and flow in our hearts. We need to let the Lord search our hearts. Is there anything in my life, Lord, that has allowed the light to get dim? Is there any behavior I've been engaging in? Is there any sin in my life that I don't know about? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything wicked in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So we get honest with the Lord and open. And then we look around we check our relationships. How are they doing? How am I treating my wife? How am I treating my kids? How am I treating my coworkers? Is there anybody that I have anything against that I haven't forgiven? I check the relationships. Once I go through those simple checklist items, you know, as the Lord begins to deal with me again, the light starts burning brightly again. Because the power source and the power supply is consistent. The person of the Holy Spirit, he has limitless power. But now I'm properly plugged in the the plug isn't loose, but it's firmly in the wall. And that's what we need to do sometimes. Notice what Paul says about this light and what it is like. He said, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So walking as children of light is the same as walking in the Spirit. And you think about walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Look at this list. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Sounds like a list that's full of goodness, doesn't it? Sounds like a list, as verse 9 tells us, that is full of righteousness. Sounds like a list that's full of truth. So the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable in the Lord. And then we look at the holiness of the children of light. What does holiness mean? It means separation to God. It means separation from the world. It means separation to God. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6 appealed to the Corinthians. He said, come about out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and I'll be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to me. So it's separation. It's separation to the Lord, separation from the attitudes, and the behaviors of the world. So this describes the holiness of the children of light. Look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't do or aspire to do what people who are living in the dark love to do. Now most people are able, most Christians are able to avoid the unfruitful works of darkness publicly. Nobody came in here this morning rip-roaring drunk. And as far as I know, nobody's loaded or, you know, nobody's, while we're here publicly, doing anything that looks like it's real sinful. We're able to publicly avoid the unfruitful works of darkness. But what about privately? What about in my own heart? What about in my own life? What about the way I live when nobody's watching? What about the way I live within this sphere, the sphere of my own heart. What about the movies I watch? Am I participating in the unfruitful works of darkness by what I'm allowing myself to see in the movies? The kind of flicks that glorify sin of any kind? Am I exposing myself to that? What about what I'm watching on television? What am I allowing my private world to be exposed to? Seriously. What about the internet? What am I allowing myself to be exposed to on the internet? How is my private world going? Now the Bible says here very clearly, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't communicate with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't share with the unfruitful works of darkness. Whether... It's in what you watch in the movies or on television or in the internet or any other environment in your private life. But rather, it tells us, verse eleven, expose them. It means to admonish them. It means to convict them. It means to tell a fault. It means to rebuke or reprove. Now the context probably refers here to believers. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness in your fellow believers, but rather expose them. You see, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in the world to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. John 16, Jesus said that. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convince the world of sin, he'll convince the world of righteousness, and he'll convince the world of judgment. He'll do that. He'll do that work. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world to save the world. So that was his ministry and is his ministry through the church. As we live as children of light in the world, there's plenty that the Spirit can use to convict the world of their sinfulness. But it's another matter among the church and among Christians. How much are we allowing in each other's lives? Are we hanging out with each other to do sinful things? Finding people that we can relate to in the church, people that like the same level of standards that we like, that like the same movies we like, that like the same attitudes we like, same actions. But instead of having fellowship with such attitudes and such behaviors, we should reprove such attitudes and such behaviors. The challenge obviously comes in knowing how and when to do this. We shouldn't reprove one another, or anybody for that matter, just because we're bugged by what they're doing. We can get bugged by what people do. We, don't, we just don't like it. We're irritated. Well, that's a horrible motivation with which to expose someone's sin. It shouldn't be out of anger either. We're angry at it. We're angry at them. And it obviously shouldn't be out of an attitude of superiority or self-righteousness. Remember what Jesus said about such things. Why do you consider the speck in your brother's eye when, behold, there's a beam in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, remove the beam out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. So, we're not to be self-righteous or have an attitude of superiority as we expose others' unfruitful works of darkness and if we do it we have to do it humbly Galatians 6.1 says that when someone is overtaken in a fault then we who are spiritual should restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering ourselves lest we also be tempted but we need to absolutely be encouraging and hold up high standards for one another we can't let each other get away with the unfruitful words of darkness. That wouldn't be loving if we did. Because, verse 12 tells us, it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Not alone, not, not to mention to do them. It's even shameful to speak of them. And so the call to repent is in verse 14. Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I love this. Because it gives the command to God's people to wake up. You've been sleeping, wake up. And you've been dead in your attitudes and in your behaviors, rise up. And Christ will give you light. So where's the responsibility? The responsibility is upon the person who recognizes that their light has become dim. And that they're beginning to walk in the ways of the world. And beginning to be conformed to the world rather than be transformed away from the world and into the image of Christ. And so what I need to do is I need to wake up, I need to rise up, and when I do, when I make those decisions, then Christ will give us light. I remember many years ago, right as I was really starting to walk with the Lord, it was a, a great time in my life, I was excited, the word of God was real to me, and I was growing uh, a lot in the word in the lord and then i got involved with a lot of stuff i started coaching i was coaching baseball i was umpiring helping to run this pony league of uh, baseball players and working and going to school i had a lot of stuff i was doing and and then in addition to going to church well guess which of all of those things that i was involved in guess which what which of the things suffered it was my fellowship with believers, and it was my time in the word that suffered. And so eventually the light began to grow dimmer. And I had a friend who coached with me, wasn't a Christian, but I really liked him. We hung out together, I did some work with him, and innocent relationship, no problem there. But I just started getting cold around the things of God. And then one evening, I just, you know, I don't know what was going on. I was discouraged, I guessed. I went down to the liquor store, bought up myself a couple of quarts of beer, hadn't had anything to drink for months and months. Bought myself a pack of smokes, hadn't done that for months and months. Went up to my old spot and just all by myself, which I never did even in the world, all by myself, started down in my, my beer. Finished the first quart and then I said, This is ridiculous. This isn't me. Not anymore. It used to be me. This is who I used to be, but it's not me anymore. This is the old bill. Something's got to change. And right then, the Lord gave me grace to wake up and rise from the dead. I said, Lord, when the doors are open, I'm there. Every opportunity I have, I'm going to be in your word. I'm going to learn your word. I'm going to get back into fellowship. I'm going to get back into the service of the Lord. And I took that pack of smokes and threw up up into the bushes, the other quart of beer, threw that up into the bushes somewhere, got in the car, drove down the hill, and that was that. And you know what I discovered? Christ gave me light. It started flowing back into my soul again. The old joy came back almost instantly. It was wonderful. The power started flowing again. The light bulb started burning brightly again. Because the stuff that was in my life that was keeping me back wasn't keeping me back anymore. And Of course, that's been repeated on other levels, much less severe, a number of times during the 38 years of walking with him. And so this is a very important passage for us. By the way, This isn't a direct quote from a specific scripture, so if you try to look it up in a concordance, you won't find it anywhere. There are verses that have combinations of this statement, but not the whole thing in one source. Some think it's actually a quotation of an early Christian hymn. And then finally, Wisdom of the Children of Light, verses 15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The wisdom of the children of light is to walk circumspectly. The word means to walk accurately. See then that you walk accurately, or you walk carefully. See then that you walk accurately or carefully Not as fools, but as wise. NIV translates it, be very careful then how you live. The ESV translates it, look carefully then how you walk. And first and foremost, in walking carefully or walking accurately, verse 16, we're to be redeeming the time because the days are evil. And the idea there is rescuing the time that we do have from loss. Buying it back. Buying the time back. Getting it back. Using it for a purpose that God has for time. Now, we'll be making a mistake if we look at Ephesians 5.16 and we look at the phrase redeeming, redeeming the time and we say, this means get busier. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean to get busier. It doesn't even mean to do more of something that is a good thing to do now. But what it does mean is to be wise concerning my use of each day, that it might be lived for God's purposes and pleasure. It does mean to make my life have a point to it. I'm working at this job, what's the point? I'm living in this neighborhood, what's the point? I'm going to this church, what's the point? How does God want to use all this to fulfill his plan in my life? And I think also what it means is that in everything I do, I'm to invite the Lord into it and include him into it. And if I can't invite him into it or include him into it, I'm not to do it. Simple enough. So here I am. I'm thinking about whether I'm going to check out that flick that just came out. That everybody's talking about at work. Wow, what a great movie. I'm thinking about it. Well, can I really invite the Lord into that movie? I tell you, here's the thing that will perhaps help some of you that are conflicted about such decisions. Go to a place that rates movies regarding their content. I used to use for years a a site called ScreenIt.com. I'd go to that website and I'd look up a movie title that was coming out or I was thinking about getting on a video. And I'd I'd look and see what it had. It would tell the plot generally. It would rate the movie according to what the critics say about the movie. What do they know? And it would talk about morally offensive behavior that might be reflected in the movie. It wouldn't give specifics. In the first section it would just talk about you know, use of profanity this much, sexual innuendos this much, sexual scenes, nudity this much, uh, violence this much. And it would kind of give you a, a, a sketchy outline of what's there. And then you can decide whether or not you're going to see the movie. I'm telling you, so many of the times when I would le- read the reviews, I'd look at it and go, "Why would I wanna, <laughs> why would I want to expose myself to such garbage? Why would I want to sit in a place that is going to just bombard me with sinful thoughts and worldly attitudes? So that would be my decision. Wouldn't rent the movie, wouldn't go see it. Was that being legalistic? No, I'm free to do anything. But even though I'm free to do everything, not everything is helpful to me in the Christian life. Just like Paul said or... The writer to the Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, let's lay aside every weight as we run this race. And the burdens which so easily and the sins which so easily weigh us down. Let's set them aside. You wouldn't go into a hundred yard dash or into a mile wearing a 35 pound backpack. So get rid of it. It, I mean, I can wear it. I can carry it, 35 pounds. I can do 35 pounds. But why would I if I'm going to run a mile race or a 10K? It doesn't make any sense. I'm putting myself at a great disadvantage. So if I can't invite and include the Lord into it, then I shouldn't even do it. And it would be, frankly, embarrassing to include the Lord into many of the things that I would otherwise consider doing. Think about this. From one website, the average American, 15 years and older, watches 2.8 hours of TV per day, which is about half of the available leisure time that uh, most Americans have. That's a lot of television. Is that redeeming the time? And then another website, uh, which highlights the uh, positions of uh, Dr. Norman Hur, Cal State Northridge, 2007, He says the number of hours per day that TV is on in an average U.S. home, six hours, 47 minutes. Percentage of Americans that regularly watch television while eating dinner, 66% of Americans watch television while they're eating dinner. This is family time, right? You know, we, we struggle with communication with our kids. Number of minutes per week that parents spend in meaningful conversation with their children, number of minutes per week, three and a half minutes per week in meaningful conversation with our children. So 66% of the household watch television while eating dinner, three and a half minutes per week, meaningful conversation with their children. If we're going to redeem the time, what's got to go here? You know, it's pretty easy to understand. A lot of other stats. Average child watches 28 hours of television per week, 1,680 minutes. 28 hours of television average child watches per week. Percentage of four to six years old, they were asked to choose between watching TV and spending time with their fathers. 54% would rather watch television. 900 hours per year the American youth spends in school. 1,500 hours the American youth spends watching television. And that's why American education has gone so far down internationally in terms of how well we're doing compared to the rest of the world. And these stats don't even include video games. So we can see how poignant... And appropriate, this exhortation is, redeeming the time. Why should we redeem the time? Verse 16, because the days are evil. We're living in the last days, and the Bible predicts that these last days would be evil days. Jesus said that the lawlessness that is in the world would increase, and because of it, the love of many would grow cold. Paul said that in the latter times, many would depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devil. He said to second, in Second Timothy that in the last days perilous times would come. Men would be lovers of themselves. These are evil days. And we're getting close. From all the signs, it would look like we're getting very close to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Israel became recognized by the United Nations as a sovereign state in 1948, by the way, in a few days, the anniversary, the 63rd anniversary of the rebirth of the nation of Israel. It's going to be celebrated all over the world, May 14th. When that happened, many Bible prophecies were fulfilled. Which talk about the conditions that would have to exist in the world prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And one of them is, Israel would have to become a nation again. He would bring them back into the land after having been dispersed for thousands of years. It's a miracle that they were granted that status. And the day after they were granted that status, they were attacked by their Arab neighbor states, and they survived another miracle. And then in 1967, sovereign control of the city of Jerusalem, and they could have had control of the Temple Mount, but Moshe Dayan gave it back. To the Arabs. And then in 1973 even further gains because they were attacked in the Yom Kippur War of 1973 and they won those battles and the land that they regained in those battles is theirs now. And Israel's in the land. And the prophecies are all lining up. Ezekiel 38 and 39 talks about how nations are going to be coming together and connecting with each other with a common purpose, and that would be to destroy Israel. Is that happening or not? And the nations that are described in Ezekiel 38 and 39 are nations that are heavily influenced by militant Islam. And that is happening as well. The stage is set. The Bible predicts the Western European nations to be coming together in the last days. And the kingdoms that had arisen from them to be united together in the last days. Common currency, common government, common political system, common police forces. These are things that are happening now in fulfillment of biblical prophecy, Daniel 2, Daniel 7. And you can just go on and on and on. The natural disasters that we're seeing increase, predicted in the Bible, as signs of the last days, pestilences, earthquakes, horrible catastrophic events. They're increasing. They're not getting less frequent. They're becoming more frequent. The days are evil. And so because the days are evil, and it would look like, from all appearances, that the coming of Jesus is, could be very soon for his church. You say, well, how can you say that? And what if it's not true? What if he doesn't come for 50 years? Well, let me ask you this. What have I lost by living as though Jesus is going to come back tomorrow or today? What have I lost? Nothing. I've been enabled to live more for him and less for myself, which is always a good thing, considering the day's being evil as they are. So this is an important exhortation, redeeming the time. This is a day, you know, in Psalm 90 it says teach us, Lord, to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. I love that. And the idea might be number the rest of the days that we have. I don't know how many days, obviously, that I have left. Well, let's just say average lifespan, 77 years old for a male in the United States it's got another 20 years, less than 20 years how many days are in 20 years? I haven't done the math but each one is important number the days, each one is important, it's exciting it's exciting to roll out of bed with that attitude man, what are you going to do today, Lord? what do you have for me? what do you have for my wife? what do you have for us? how do you want to use us? what do you want to do in people's lives? it's exciting to live that way really is. And that's what it means to redeem the time. Lord, help us to redeem the time. Amen? Amen? And then verse 17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now a lot, of, a lot of times you get the question, this is maybe one of the most common biblically related questions that we'll receive as pastors. How can I know the will of God for my life? And it's a great question. I love it when that question is asked because it tells me that there's hunger on the part of the person asking it. I want to know the will of God for my life. And that's music to a pastor's ears. To hear people hungry to want to know the will of God for their life. Well, let's answer the question. How can I know what the will of God is for my life? It starts by understanding what the Bible teaches. it it starts by understanding the passage we just studied. This is God's word. What is God's word? God's word is a statement of God's will. So how do I know the will of God for my life? I start living this way. I start walking as a child of light in Christ. Now the cool thing here is that God is commanding us to not be unwise. He's commanding us to understand the will of the Lord. Think with me here. If he commands me to understand his will, don't you think he's going to give me the ability to understand his will? And here's the illustration that I often use. Jesus was there in the synagogue and he saw a man there with a withered hand man hadn't been able to use his hand. It was shrunk up. It was shriveled. He had no capacity to even extend it. He saw a man with a withered hand, and Jesus said, Stretch out your hand. How do you do that if you've never done it before? How do you do it if you're physiologically incapable of stretching forth your hand? The, mus- the, the neurological damage that would have taken place, the muscular atrophy... Whatever caused that condition, a partial paralysis perhaps, or even an extended paralysis, how did he stretch forth his hand if he'd never done it? But Jesus commanded him to. And Jesus' command became the promise of his enablement. Stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out, and as he did, God gave him the ability, Jesus gave him the ability to do it. And it was restored as whole as the other. And he soon had full use of his limb. So Jesus says, Paul says, the Spirit says through Paul, Do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, stretch out your hand. You can understand this. Just go for it. Get into the scripture. Study the Bible. Seek to apply it. And the will of God will begin to unfold in your life. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul writes in Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. How does it start? It starts by being transformed through the renewing of our mind. I change my mind through the word and eventually, it works itself out into the discovery of the will of God for my life. That's what we need to do. So, very important passages for us to study this morning. Very vital passages for us to study. Walking as children of light, the lifestyle of the children of light, verses 8 through 10, the holiness of the children of light, verses 11 through 14, our separation from the world to the Lord, and the wisdom of the children of light, walking accurately, carefully, redeeming the time, understanding what the will of the Lord is. It's an exciting Christian life for those that want to live it. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word and thank you, Father, for giving it to us. And just for that, that one command. Don't be unwise, but understand with the will of the Lord. What a great command. Thank you for that command. Thank you that you're not trying to hide yourself. You're not trying to keep secrets from us. You're not trying to make it difficult for us to discover your great plan for us. And how you want us to redeem the time. You lay these things out for us as we walk in simple obedience to what you've called us to do and how you've called us to live. And we know you've called us to trust in your son. And we know you've called us to walk as children of light. We know you've called us to depend upon you and open up our hearts and lives to you that the spirit of God might fill us and strengthen us. So we thank you for your heart and your desire. Lord, and if in any of our lives the light bulb has grown dim, Lord, we pray that you would revive your people. Lord, that you would strengthen your church. That you would encourage hearts through your word. That you would enable us to burn brightly again. Thank you so much for that. And as we continue in this attitude of prayer, just a word of encouragement for anyone among us this morning who has never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. If you've never made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, then what that means, according to the Bible, is that you're still in darkness. But you don't have to remain in darkness any longer. You can be free from darkness. You can come into the light. And the light means Accept Jesus Christ. That's what it means to come into the light. It means to believe in Jesus. It means to trust him. Because Jesus said he's the light of the world. And if we follow him, we'll not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. There's no possibility of living the Christian life without Jesus. And so if you've never accepted him, you need to accept him this morning. But if you do, you'll have life. And you'll no longer be in darkness. The reason for your existence will start to make sense. God will forgive your sins. Anything you've ever done, no matter how bad it is, will be forgiven you because Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, died for your sins on the cross. And he rose from the dead to give you life. That's the good news. The good news is you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. You can be free. The good news is you don't have to be guilty and burdened down by the guilt of your sins or your past. You can be forgiven. The good news is you don't have to be a slave to the behaviors that you've been giving yourself to. You can be freed to live for Christ. And he'll give you a brand new motivation to live for him. The Bible calls it the new birth, being born again. He'll cause you to be born again if you believe the gospel. And here's the gospel, which means good news. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus was buried, and he rose from the dead for your sins. He's alive today. Your choice, your need, your decision, is whether or not you're going to receive him this morning. If you receive him, if you open your heart and you say, Yes, God, I believe that I, in Jesus. I believe in what he did for me. And I acknowledge my sin. I want to receive him into my life. When you make that decision, God will begin to work very powerfully in you, supernaturally. It's your decision. So my question this morning is, how many are there among us this morning that would like to say, yes, I'd like to receive you, Jesus? I want to come into Christ this morning. I want to receive the Lord, and I want to be forgiven and start a new life. Would you just raise your hand right where you're seated? Seated? God bless you. You've never received Christ before. okay? If you've never received the Lord before, you've never made this kind of a commitment, raise your hand. Anybody else this morning? Anyone else? We'll wait just a minute longer. In fact, you might be feeling a lot of pressure right now. Not from me, hopefully, but from the Spirit of God. I'm like, wow, I think I need to do this, but I'm afraid. God bless you. I see your hand as well. Anybody else? Don't wait. Why put off what you know is inevitable? One day, every knee is going to bow to Jesus Christ, and every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord. Why not confess it now and believe in him now? Receive eternal life. Anybody else this morning? as we're continuing to pray like all all the believers just to be in attitude of prayer you guys that raise your hands would you pray with me would you stand and pray with me you two guys and pray this prayer out loud following me God I admit that I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven of my sins go ahead and say that I believe that Jesus died for me. And I believe that he rose from the dead. Jesus, I accept you into my life. Come into me. Forgive me, please. Give me a new heart. And help me to live for you. Thank you for hearing this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. What's your name, brother? John? Praise the Lord. This is Pastor Johnny right here. Pastor Johnny wants to connect with you as soon as the service is over. He's going to give you a Bible and get you connected to, you know, just ways to get started. Your name again? Juan, okay, Juan. Same with you. Meet with Pastor Johnny. We're so blessed that you're here with us this morning. You made a good decision this morning, both you guys. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?